I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the elementary genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Hey, Atlanta. Have you heard? True Laundry Detergent is now offering free shipping in the Atlanta area. Just text the word TRUE to 404-493-0523 or give us a call. That's 404-493-0523. True Detergent is four times concentrated and perfect for those HE washers. Just one ounce removes dirt, brightens fabrics, and leaves each load with a clean, fresh, sense. Best of all, True contains no animal products and it's safe for sensitive skin. Follow us on social media, True Detergent ATL. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz of Necessary Blackness Podcast, and we are back for another episode Today we're going to interview a special guest Her name is Antoinette Harrell And she's a genealogist, activist, and peenage detective Who spent decades tracking down slavery in the Deep South The peenage research of Harrell led her to the Florida Industrial School for Boys Her research led her to dig deeper into the files at the Tassahalee State Archives in the Sunshine State of Florida in search of penis practice on the campus. The school opened its doors in 1900 and closed the doors in 2000 after operating for 111 years. More than 500 former students have alleged they were brutally beaten, sexually abused, as well as mentally abused by the staff. Some even allege that they was used as modern-day slaves working to grow crops, raise livestock, and cut timber. We're going to get her on the line and interview her as well as a former student that had to endure this horrific treatment from these demonic 
beings. Now, we talk about the school to prison pipeline. This was the original school to prison pipeline happening in the 1900s. Stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. I'm good, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I'm your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we have Antoinette Harrell with us on the line, and we're going to talk about the situation that happened at the Reformatory School in the state of Florida. Thank you, Antoinette, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, I definitely appreciate you and all that you are doing to bring highlight to this horrific incident that's happening or that happened and that continues to happen. Now, real quickly, I want you to tell me, you know, let's go back to the beginning. How did you first come across this story about this juvenile reform school? Okay, uh, as a genealogist, um, family researcher, I was researching my family, my own family history. Uh, my family was enslaved Africans in this country. And when I started to look at my records and whole different uh, genealogy conferences around the state of Louisiana, I met a woman who, her name was May Louise. Miller, Wall Miller, she was held a slave. She uh, was one of the first people who didn't mind going public and telling what happened to her in uh, in regards to modern-day slaves. And as, because I researched a lot of the subjects of Pinnage and modern-day slavery, I came across the story of Pinnage at Dozer Reform School, Arthur G. Dozer Reform School in Mariana, Florida. And that was the first time that I had heard that children was used. Although I knew that kids was, but I'm talking about in an institution, something in regards of, in respect to a school. And when I reached out to one of the authors, a man named Roger Dean Kaiser, who wrote the book, he put me in contact with some of the black men. And I met a man named Johnny Lee Gaddy, who talked about how hard he worked, what he did, the rapes, the beatings, and some of the killing. And that's how I came across this story at Dover Reform School, Research and Pinnage. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Peace. This is Prince Coach Law, 
and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power, this is E-Reporting Live, and you're tuned in to Necessary Blackness with my boy Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shali. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. I want to give a big shout out to everyone that's hitting us up across our various social media networks. I also want to give a big, big shout out to everyone that's emailing us at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail. I have a few emails I'm going to read. And the first one says... Peace to the God, Raheem Shabazz. I'm the God's Supreme Intelligence out of Marcy Project in Brooklyn, and I teach at an elementary school in Brooklyn. The Parents Teachers Association in my district showed your documentary, and we had a packed house of educators, leaders, and students. Thanks for doing the work. Continue to make us proud. Thank you, Supreme Intelligence for the kind words, and I will always be on the front line fighting for social justice for our youth. Our second email is from Azari from the UK, and she says, Hotep King, I listened to your interview on Titan TV in the UK. You had very profound words, and I look forward to your third documentary, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. And our last email is from Maurice from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And Maurice wants to know how can he submit his film ideas to Rasha Entertainment. Well, Maurice, the first thing I will tell you is before you submit any film to me or anybody else, make sure your film is copywritten. And if you would like to submit us your film ideas for future productions, you can send that to me personally at raheem.shabazz at gmail. Okay, family, continue to send us your emails, and we may read some of them online, and some of them we may not, but one thing that we will do, we will respond back to your email in an appropriate time and in an appropriate manner. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Make sure you stay tuned in, and you can catch us each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Peace and power, black family. We are back, and we will continue our conversation with Annette Harrell. Yeah, I know it must have been a disheartening experience to read about what was going on and then to actually interview an individual that had to go through this experience. And I'm going to interview this individual later on. I wanted to know, what was his temperament when you interviewed him? You know, because I I know for, for me personally, something like that, you know, 
I probably would be scarred for life. And I know other people, they have certain redemptive qualities where they're able to forgive and move on with life. What was his disposition with this situation? Very painful. Um, he had lived with this and not talked about this with anyone uh, for 50 plus years. And the reason that he didn't talk to anyone, even his family members, did not believe that he went through what he went through. So he walked in the shadows of all of this abuse, the rapes, and everything that he had witnessed, everything he experienced. And I guess his relationship with God saved him because most of the men, they do have uh, some type of psychological problems, mental anguish. And his temperament was very, uh, and, and, and again, that was only because he somehow developed this relationship with God and still trust him in all of that. And when he reached out to me to tell his story, um, like most people who I had talked to through the years, I felt, Raheem, that I had went into the pits of hell and met demons or a host of demons were set loose on this earth that many people didn't see. Only the people who was experiencing these horrible abuses, beatings, murders, rapes, children screaming in pain. When I think about the sunshine, the sunshine state of Florida, I think about all the theme parks and the beautiful beaches and children running and yelling with joy. And then there was another type of yelling, the pain that Johnny Lee Gaddy and others like him was experiencing. Now, first let me point out that the campus was segregated up until the late 60s. And the, the white men talked about the beatings they got at the school in a little building called the White House. But the black men was talking about their stories as well. So up until the late 60s, the whites did not know what was happening on the black side, and the blacks did not know what was happening on the white side. They were not allowed to look at each other. They were not allowed to talk or speak to each other. Wow. Now, in my introduction, I gave a, a brief synopsis of the story. But if you can briefly explain to everybody besides um, the beatings and things like that, what happened at this school and how individuals wind up at this school. From my understanding, a lot of the, the black students that ended up there was for like school truancy, running away from home, or uh, low-level um, quality of life type of crimes. There, there, there wasn't no real um, demeaning crimes or felonies. And these was just young boys from the age of nine up until I think 21. Could, could you tell us a little more about this school and some of the things that was happening? Yeah, well, the school opened its doors in 1900, and it was shut. It shut its doors 2011. So it was in operation for 111 years. Now, although there were some cases where there were some, you know, criminal activities such as rape, murders, uh, or robbery that some of these young boys was charged with, 
But for people like Pastor Gaddy, Johnny Lee Gaddy had a speech impediment, which when he went to school, the kids would tease him. And so it made him not want to go to school. And because his father had died, his mother was left uh, to raise um, quite a number of children by herself. And they were living in poverty. And some boys could not afford school clothes and school shoes, uh, smoking a cigarette. And they was picked up and taken to Dozer. Now, let me talk about Johnny Lee Gaddy uh, in particular at this point. Johnny was picked up and was told that he was going to see the judge the following morning. Well, Johnny never saw a judge. He went straight from the holding cell, uh, which he called a jail, for, for juveniles. And the next morning, the police took him over to those of his Arthur G. Dozer's reform school, about 300 miles from where his home was located. When I first started looking into some of the records, uh, I couldn't read all of them at one time. It was just too much to consume. Because when you read something like that, whether it's a, a, a great book or a book with horror and all sorts of things to go with it, your mind is there. You're there. You have allowed this to enter into your spirit. You have allowed your mind to think about the conditions. Well, I read in some of your thesis and some of the reports that some of the children was chained up with iron around their necks, around their feet, to the walls. It was damp. In the rooms, it was dark. It was horrible conditions where no child could even imagine themselves. Being so young, what did I do to deserve this horrible treatment, this hellish treatment that no one from the outside of the walls was hearing? The beatings, the rapes, the beating so much that blood was just spilling out of their rear ends. Mm -mm because they were scarred so bad. And Johnny was one of the people among many that had said to me, Antoinette, or Miss Harrell, who could I tell? There was no one to tell. Because you were threatened with the fact that you would be murdered if you did tell someone. And... For the most part, because I've interviewed so many people and some of these men, and I said, there's millions of people in the world. Can you tell me you can find no one that would believe you? No one that would listen? And I had to learn it the hard way myself because although I was trying to tell the story, not many people was listening to what I had to say. Well, this research had revealed. And it wasn't until Doug Blackman produced, wrote the book, Slavery by Another Name, and produced the documentary, I couldn't believe the number of African-American people that was calling me. you got to watch this documentary. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? The lady May was talking about her experience as a slave. Did you not hear this? You are um, speaking about this situation and how it didn't come to the public right away. And looking back, I would think 
that maybe they could have told their parent. But when you're in a situation like that, who knows if parents was even allowed to visit their kids during that time. You know, today times are different. So I'll, They couldn't afford to. A lot of parents like Johnny, uh, when we think about it today, first of all, many of them in the 60s, early 60s, they may not even have had a vehicle. And certainly for jobs, you know, most women, uh, black women was taking in ironing jobs or laundry jobs or working in somebody's kitchen or household. They didn't have much money. And they was bringing home uh, $30 a month. And so your child is 300 miles away. You don't have transportation. But during the interview, he will tell you that they had to write home. And all the men said this, write home to tell their parents that everything was okay. They was having a beautiful time. They was learning so many different things. And each one of them, each one of the men pointed out, the black men pointed out that the campus, all the colleges was named after pioneering people like um, George Washington Carver. There were so many colleges that was named after prominent black people. But what was happening in those colleges, then it would have been a disgrace to name that college, the George Washington Carver College. But the issue is, if the parents knew, most of them could not even afford an attorney. And we're talking about the heights of the civil rights movement now. Who could they tell? Maybe the local NWCP, uh, SCLC. Who was they going to tell? I want to bring it up to date. I, I recently read a report that stated, despite the periodic investigation and the charge of leadership and promises to improve, the allegation of cruelty and abuse continue. Why do you think it went so long, and what could have been done to save these young boys? Well, it brings me back to uh, the governor in 1968. His last name was Governor uh, Kurt. Um, he went and he, I guess he did a walkthrough to the school, and he said that if his child would have been uh, a student at that school, he would have been down in a rifle. But there were six led state investigations, and each one of them found things that certainly wasn't good. And I remember Roger Dean Kaiser saying to me that the last beating he got and the rape of the things that happened to him, he said that he promised that he would get back. At them. So Roger wrote his book and published his book, and they organized a group called the White House Boys Organization, and they mobilized themselves to bring attention, first of all, to those atrocities. And I believe because they just kept working at it, working at it, said, somebody going to listen. And they finally got an official resolution passed by the state of Florida apologizing for the beatings, the alleged murders, the death of the boys, the child labor, 
and the cruelty that was done to these children. All right, I want to ask you a question. But before I ask you that question, I know that the White House, if I'm correct, correct me. If I'm incorrect, correct me if I'm wrong, was where they beat the kids at, right? Correct? The white kids? That's correct. You are correct. White and black. White and black. All right. Could you tell us a little bit about the White House for those that don't know? Yeah, the White House was a building, and it was also known as the ice cream factory, too. It was a little white center block building, and the way that each of the men, black and white, described this building, there was an iron bed with a filthy, nasty mattress with blood, vomit, um, saliva all over the bed, and those boys would have to go in there and hold that bed, the post. And all of them said the same thing. Whatever you do, do not let that bed post go. Johnny was said, was told that if he let the bed go, he said, uh, Tidwell told him, no nigga, you let that bed go, I'm going to hit you in your balls and I can kill you. And when you interview him, I'm more than sure you would probably bring this subject, this topic up. But the beatings were so severe that blood would run from their real end. And sometimes they couldn't sit down for days because those beatings were so severe. Now, the black men wasn't allowed to beat the white boys. But the white men was allowed to beat both and black. White and black. This individual that you speak of named Tiswell, I actually seen a YouTube video of him when they was investigating him or doing a deposition. He was never formally charged, and is he alive today? Yeah, he's alive today. Uh, There has not been any charges brought against him at this point. Uh, Certainly, I would say that should he be charged? Yes. Should the state of Florida be held responsible for these acts? Yes. Now, and uh, anyone else that's living that abuse these children should be held. Now, earlier you spoke about a resolution, and I'm under the assumption that you know the resolution was that they made acknowledgement. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement, I think it was in 2010, and the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice in 2011 acknowledged what happened at the reformatory school. Now, has there been any talks of reparation? Because I know that a bill went went on the floor that was asking for compensation and it didn't pass. What is the status with that? At this point, there's supposed to be a meeting scheduled. Um, and they contact uh, Johnny Lee Gaddy concerning this upcoming meeting. And at this upcoming meeting, he will know what the conversation is about concerning reparations or restitution for the damages that these boys these men suffered as boys. And let me also point out something while it is why especially in my mind that 
55 grave, grave sites was found. They brought in the cadaver dogs, the cadaver dogs, um, and they found more bodies, more grave sites than they anticipated. And so that took over, I think, two to three years to do that. Uh, and Johnny would be able to tell you more about some of the black graves because, again, now, you know, the great, uh, he said the cemeteries was on their side of the, the campus, which was on the black side of the campus. He would be able to tell you about the labor that was taken from these children to raise every type of agricultural uh, produce that you can think of. They raise every type of livestock that you can think of. And Johnny can recall the trucks coming in, in line, picking up the produce, picking up the slaughtered meat that they was using these boys to, to, to raise and slaughter and sell. So should they be talking about restitution? Of course they should. Absolutely. Now, this reformatory school, which was not a school at all, it was it was a prison, modern day prison. It, it has been going on for 111 years. So there is a psychological effect of 500 children that walk through these doors. Their parents are more, are more. more. Their parents. Can you tell us some of the psychological effects that has been recorded or have been known? that these individuals suffered at the hands of the treatment that they had to endure? Yes, a lot of the men have dysfunctional lives, uh, nightmares, they can't function, they can't be in relationships with women uh, because the guilt, and the, well, not the guilt, but the shame of being raped, it's hard to talk about for a man to talk about being penetrated by another man or performing oral sex on a man. Now we're talking about a little boy. That's a shameful scar that haunts them every day of their lives. You're talking about the beatings, you're talking about the rapes, we're talking about the free labor. We're talking about uh, the psychological abuse being called niggas every day. Little nigga this, little nigga that, little nigga this, and little nigga that. You're never going to amount to anything. Johnny was told by Lee Marvin, that is the black instructor or college father, that told him, we're preparing you to go to prison. So there's a large amount, there's a, a great percentage of men, black men, that's in prison right now. A lot of the black men did not learn trades, but if you listen to the black men, they spoke about the trades that some of the white students got, but they didn't get those trades. So there's a lot of dysfunction that goes on, nightmares, feel alcohol, I mean, alcoholics, uh, self-medicate themselves with drugs. That was just a, you know, it's a lot to deal with. Abuse isn't easy to live with. 
It's a shadow that follows you every day of your life. No matter how much you drink, no matter how much you try to, you know, drug it away, uh, beat your wife, you know, all these things that I hear a lot of men say, I can't be in a relationship. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know how to be a husband. You know, it's been taken away from me. And although these things happen over a period of 55 years and most of them, their lives, if you look at them, you can see the pain on their faces. And when they talk about it, they talk. They can't talk about it sometimes without tears swelling up in their eyes. Yeah, this is this, this is a hell of a story. So, Antoinette, I, I want to thank you for your courageous and outstanding work that you are doing and continue to do to bring this situation to light. Um, we do have to interview uh, John Johnny Gaddy. Am I saying his name correct? Johnny Gaddy, Johnny Lee Gaddy. Johnny Lee Gaddy. We're going to interview Johnny Lee Gaddy next. And in closing, is there anything you want to say in your last closing words? And also, yes, let people know mm-hmm. where they can um, reach you at. Yeah, they can reach me at 504-858-4658. In closing, anyone that has any means to help Pastor Gaddy tell his story, if you're a professor, at a university, a radio talk show host, documentary producers, movie film producers, please contact me, 504-858-4658. In closing, I would like to say thank you, Brother Raheem, for having me as a guest on your, your podcast and your radio talk show. And lastly, I would like to say if there's anyone that know anyone that has been in, that has lived in those type of conditions, once again, contact me at 504-858-4658 and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com Penis Detectives. Say that again, Penis, is it Penis Detectives? Penis Detectives. Yes, okay. Penis Detectives. All so, right? Yeah, so family, make sure y'all, y'all follow Antoinette. Uh, on her social media. Also, she gave out her phone number as well. Do you have an email? Yes. It's penisdetective at gmail.com. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate this. And if there's anything that I can do to help besides getting the word out, you got my personal number and you just give me a call. Okay? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Peace. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and that is going to be our conclusion for this week. But make sure you tune in next week where we will be interviewing Johnny Lee Gaddy personally. After walking in the shadows of silence for 50 years, Johnny Lee Gaddy decided to tell his story. Mr. Gaddy recalls the brutal treatment, rape, and dehumanizing conditions in his book, They told me not to tell. And now he sits down with Necessary Blackness Podcast to give us the undisputed truth of what happened and how he's able to persevere and how we all can help him in his quest for justice. So make sure you tune in next week right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast.
Each person interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblackness_podcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily.